0: Welcome to another episode of the Founder Fundamentals podcast. My name is Rahul Kumar, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Sid Batra, co-founder of Thrive. Thrive's mission is to invest in human potential. Sid, thanks for joining us. What does investing in human potential mean for Thrive?
1: Rahul, well, I'm going to start by saying the idea of Founders Fundamental is amazing. So many people are carried away with the hype of startups, but I like that you're getting into the actual nitty-gritties. So that's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it, Coming together kind of investing in human potential to Thrive, at Thrive, we build financial products for young professionals. So people in the last two years of college or the first two to three years of their working life. And as outsiders to the finance space, we found it fascinating of how much banks and existing institutions relied on the, the idea of credit score and credit history, which is amazing for like finding out the downside for a person, but it really can't tell you kind of their upside or where they're headed in life and what their potential is. And if you're building like financial products, in a way, you're kind of investing in someone's potential. And so for us, like that mission is an important reminder of how much we have to do to understand someone's future potential, how much investment that needs.
0: Very cool. So let's dig into that in just a little bit. But before we get into that, I do want to know a little bit more about you. So I always find it interesting to deconstruct personalities that go behind driving a successful venture. You know, who is the actual person driving the startup? So tell us a little bit more about your background. You know, who is Sid Batra and what led him to co-found Thrive with Deepak Rao? I'm
1: hoping the who is Sid question doesn't lead me down in existential crisis. Uh, But (laughs) But, uh, I can dive into kind of both our backgrounds. Uh, Which is interestingly very similar. So I um, grew up in, in India did my undergrad there in computer science. And maybe the two things that were kind of formative of that time was one, my obsession with doing kind of research in artificial intelligence. And then the second was kind of working during school at like a a startup in India, which was very rare. After my kind of time in India, I was very lucky to end up at Stanford doing research in like machine learning and AI with the now famous professor Andrew Ng. And his extraordinary group of like students, like I was by far the stupidest person in that room. It was quite amazing. It was quite a, quite a research lab. I was very lucky to get the chance to actually co-found a company with Andrew, a video advertising company. We ran that for like a year or so. And along this kind of timeline, my co-founder Deepak was basically like two years behind, but the same timeline. So I was his TA in undergrad. Okay. And then then he came to Stanford, spent time in the same lab. And
0: was he a good student? <laughs>
1: Let's be honest, Rahul, I think he's not the best of engineers, as you will see in his uh, in his story. <laughs> but, uh, but we did co-found a company together. Uh, it was called Mine, funded by the amazing Michael Deering. We, we ran that company for about three years together, and we were eventually acquired by Twitter. This is back in, like, 2013. So we both ended up at Twitter, where our paths diverged a little bit at that point. I went on to become a director of engineering and run a large part of the ads team. And Deepak, to your earlier question, finally realized his uh, limitations as an engineer. And then he switched to becoming a product manager and actually did quite well. He had a a meteoric rise and ended up running a lot of the consumer product team at Twitter. So if you want the edit button, he is to blame for not having it. And if you don't like the ads, then I am to blame. Okay. (laughs) But uh, so we spent four and a half amazing years at Twitter, phenomenal company. And about three years ago, we left Twitter to start Thrive. I, again, raised funding from uh, the amazing Michael Dearing from Harrison Metal. And along with the two of us, two of our founding engineers, Andu and Tony, they also left Twitter and we all started the company. day one about three years ago, which brings us here.
0: So I, I do want to dig into the, what is that inflection point where you say, hey, you know, this is an experience that I've gone through. It's a mediocre experience today. This is something that I believe I can change going forward. And honestly, at this point of time, I want to invest my entire career in solving this problem. What sequence of events was it that led you to make that decision? Or was it a specific point in time?
1: Fair question. So I think I had done two companies before and startups and they weren't successful by any means. And so what happens is that leads you to kind of think that there's definitely something missing in how we're approaching the idea of a startup and how we're executing it. Okay. And that's why the four and a half years at Twitter were amazing because I learned so much about, like being at a larger company, but also lessons about just being a much, much better founder. And like four and a half years into it, I learned a lot. And it seemed like the right time to go back and do it again. It was obvious to both Deepak and I that we would do a startup again at some point. It was like a great time of having learned so much at Twitter. It just seemed like a a good time to then go and, and do a startup. What were
0: some of those lessons that made you a better founder?
1: Two main things. The first one was, and this is fascinating because you go into Twitter and at that point, they were still making like millions in revenue. Yeah. And was an amazing lesson was that nobody really had everything figured out. So if you actually had an idea and you had kind of the willpower to push it through, you could actually make a significant impact on any company. So that was an amazing learning just to know that even in the, the biggest of most successful companies, there is no formula and people just have it figured out. It gives you a lot of confidence as a founder. And the second thing, which is maybe underappreciated, is how much you can learn about selling in general. Because if you're trying to do well at like a a larger company, particularly in any management role, there's a lot of selling involved. You are selling ideas to people who are kind of senior to you are. You're selling on behalf of your team members in like promotion committees. And specifically for Twitter, Twitter went through a lot of like ups and downs. I think after the, the first round of layoffs, I forget the year, but like 2015 or something, it was almost impossible to hire. Like you can imagine like in Silicon Valley where there's so many companies, you're trying to hire engineers. So you have to have a really, really good selling game in order to convince somebody to like come work at Twitter at that very hard time. So those lessons were like excellent. And like, I think the selling in particular just makes you a far better founder.
0: So to begin digging into the mechanics and to inform those that may not know, your first product, Thrive Cash, How does getting a loan from ThriveCash differ from getting a personal loan at the end of the day? And why was that your first product that you decided to go after?
1: So ThriveCash is meant for young professionals who are doing their first internship or first full-time job. And quite often, you have to relocate for that, which involves buying flight tickets, putting down a deposit for housing, and you have to wait a number of weeks before you actually get paid. That's a few thousand dollars. And the reason why a student can't take a personal loan is kind of a kind of circular problem of they will never get approved because they have no income. And even if they did get approved by a conventional bank, they don't have the money to make the payment next month because there's like multiple months left before they start that internship. So that's why conventional personal loans don't work for students, but this will have this need for cash. And it was like a perfect starting point, where there's very heavy need in the audience that we wanted to serve. So that's why five cash was a great option uh, for them. And it's also kind of testament in the data where like more than 90% of our customers have never just taken a personal loan before, simply because that instrument doesn't work for them. Absolutely. And going back to our thesis of like how can we best predict someone's future potential? because the credit history doesn't give you that. An offer letter is an amazing thing because if you can build technologies to verify an offer letter without having to go ping the employer, and you're very confident that that offer letter is like legitimate, that's an amazing signal to have about someone's uh, future potential.
0: So in terms of dispersing funds to your borrowers, so I want to get into this a little bit to understand the mechanics of starting a business like Thrive, but it requires cash at the end of the day. You're dispersing cash to the borrowers, and we can see from the site that you have a line from CS. Was that an easy conversation to have when you started off? How did you actually approach getting the line? You know, do you just go message someone on LinkedIn? Do you have someone in the network and you're like, hey, I'm trying to build this company Thrive. Our product is Thrive Cash. We need cash to disperse.
1: It is raising what is called debt capital is such a hard problem. And that's why being an experienced founder helps here because there's a circular problem. If you go to someone like Credit Suisse, they would want to see like a, a balance sheet with enough money on it. So you need equity money. Now, if you're going to raise equity capital, that investor is going to say, like, well, do you have debt capital or are you going to use my very expensive equity money for your lending and credit operations? It's a very hard circular problem. We were very lucky to have an amazing investor like David Sachs from the PayPal mafia, founder of Yammer, and he introduced us to uh, Credit Suisse. And to their credit, they were actually very willing to work with fintechs. They have a whole division that works with fintechs, and they ended up giving us like a, a $200 million line. So full props to them for like you know just being open to it, but it's a fairly hard problem, and we were we were a little bit lucky to have the right investors to make that happen. Otherwise, it's not very easy to raise that kind of like a, a debt capital line.
0: And something else that I want to spotlight specifically on Thrive Cash is, given that it's the first product, is just the actual experience of going on the website mm-hmm. and just navigating it. Something as simple as that, but. It's a very different experience than getting a personal loan on a bank's website. And I think this rolls up just a larger thesis of how the company operates mm-hmm. and how it interacts with its customers. But even interest, it's marketed very differently on the website, such as you know starting at seven bucks for every thousand, even though it all have to show up in black and white with the required disclosures that have to go out and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that was very intentional as it seems much more like a partnership than simply just going to a bank saying, you know what, I need some cash, here's your cash. Whereas it's very, very transactional. Um, is that a correct assumption?
1: Absolutely. And I think we, as a philosophy, wanted to build finance products with the same level of experience that any other consumer product that that audience would be used to. And that's why having a team that built a large part of Twitter was very useful. A lot of our engineers come from there. Like That was our bar for the experience we wanted, like a, an amazing consumer experience, even though it's a financial product. You know, you bring up that whole $7 per thousand thing. We had a a hilarious moment first six months into the company where we thought, like, you know, we're doing a finance company. We obviously understand APRs and interest rates. But it turns out we had no idea how they're actually calculated. And so it took actually, like, four very uh, relatively intelligent people to actually, like, maybe, like, a couple of days or a week to actually fully grasp, like, how complicated APR math is. And so we realized that, especially for this young audience, they will have no way of, like, deciphering, like, what it means to have, like, a a 10% APR. And so that's why we came up with that kind of small kind of way of like showing how much you will pay because it's extremely transparent yet accurate. So that was like a small way in which we tried to make it very friendly and transparent for them.
0: And I guess continuing on this theme of friendly and transparent, other very exciting news. You're launching a credit card, another space we've seen a flurry of activity in recently. So tell us more about this card that you're launching and why you
1: decided to launch it. Rahul, can we geek out for just a second about the history of credit cards? Yeah, let's do it what's fascinating is that credit cards as consumers see them right now they basically existed exactly the same way since 1960 yep all of the functionality you can think of for a credit card existed so there was a huge spurt of innovation between like 1950 and 60 and since then it's basically the same and in that same duration if you see like if you see your phones have become smarter your your TVs are even smart now even your um, your fridge can tweet but uh, our credit card is so dumb. And what we saw from our own customers who were young professionals was so that this audience is graduating with salaries anywhere from like 50K to 120K. And their credit card limits are like anywhere from 500 to like a thousand bucks, which means they, they basically can't even buy an iPhone with uh, on their credit card.
0: Is it again, just because of using
1: historical data in there? Yes, I think so. Most students don't understand the value of like a, a credit history if their parents didn't get them a credit card when they were younger or added them to their own card, like they're starting off like far behind their peers and which can have a huge impact when they want to get their first car or their first mortgage. And so that's partly why we felt these limits are pretty dumb because of their reliance on like credit scores. And there's so many other aspects of a credit card that they could be so much better, which is why we're making a credit card for the same audience of like young professionals and making it the smartest credit card ever made.
0: So when you say that it's the smartest credit card ever made, let's dig into that.
1: What does that mean? I can give you a few examples, but it follows the same theme that essentially people haven't innovated and the same difference between like an old phone and a smartphone that that jump hasn't happened yet. I'll give you a few examples. Like we just spoke about limits. Like you can imagine somebody who's a new grad. You can imagine someone like me who's a struggling entrepreneur. And then you can imagine one of our investors like, you know, Max Levchin, like the, the, you know, the one of the founders of PayPal we can all have the same credit score, but you can imagine that we should get probably get very different limits and very different experiences for our credit instruments. Yeah. So that's one example of, having, kind of not having smart limits. The second is like the the amount of free trials that people have now, these 30-day trials where you are forced to enter your credit card.
0: Yeah. Like
1: why can't I just enter a credit card and have it just auto expire after 30 days so that that particular merchant, like I'm not forced to go in there and kind of find their unsubscribe button or things like that. Lastly, imagine like Transacting with a merchant, you just don't want them to know who you are. But right now you have to enter all your sensitive billing details. So they literally know who you are, where you stay. And why can't I just transact in incognito mode? So to say at certain merchants, right? And that's kind, of the, that's kind of the idea. There's so much potential for credit cards as a spending instrument to be smarter. And that's part of the reason why we're kind of building a credit card.
0: Is there a virtual card included in in the offering as well?
1: Absolutely. The idea is just, like, make as many virtual cards as you like. You can put, like, a limit on it. You can attach them to specific merchants. So that, let's say, you know, after six months of using Spotify, you're like, you know what, I don't want to bother trying to, like, you know, pay for Spotify anymore. You just open the app, and in a click, you disable that credit card. So all your other transactions keep working, but your Spotify membership is basically just, like, canceled. And especially that that works great for like conventional merchants like AT&T and Comcast, which make it absolutely impossible to cancel anything.
0: Out of curiosity, are there ramifications for the individual borrower at that point? So say you know you enter in your credit card for a 30-day trial, you let it expire, the merchant keeps trying to bill you because technically you've signed an active agreement or whatever to be subscribed. I guess for those borrowers that may not be aware, are there any ramifications on that front?
1: I think it obviously doesn't let you out of any contract you have. It just gives you the financial control to not be charged until you have that conversation with your merchant. Because right now the equation is going to flip, right? Your merchant has your card and they have that authorization. So the power resides with them and you kind of have to jump through their hoops to get something canceled. This is just a very small way of like equaling that power equation so that at least you're not being charged until whatever the disagreement is, is resolved. And will borrowers
0: end up getting a physical card as well as just virtual?
1: We have an amazing kind of uh, metal card, um, 17 grams of like stainless steel. Okay, It's actually in the history of credit cards. The the first, first credit cards were actually called coins and they were exactly the shape in like metal. So it's gonna be a, it's an amazing kind of metal card and that will also be sent to uh, our customers.
0: Very cool. So in terms of actually launching a credit card going from basically personal loans before, was there a structural shift that was actually required in the business to do this?
1: Is actually a huge advantage to have done something in like the finance industry beforehand,
0: okay. because a lot of
1: the infrastructure, uh, you can kind of rely on it. For example, everything from like uh, being familiar with regulations, having a compliance program, having the infrastructure to work with credit bureaus, a customer support team, all of that comes in very handy. Credit cards do have a much higher regulatory burden. So we we were very lucky to have like an amazing GC join us. Uh, Louis, who used to be the GC at Upgrade, joined us like earlier this year. So that was one thing that we were very conscious of as well. When
0: is the card actually going to be available to the public? Can I go today and go sign up for the card?
1: We are beta testing in early November. And so the card will roll out in the holiday season and early next year.
0: In terms of general fintech now, the personal lending space has just exploded over the past few years, and one of your investors, Max Lepchin, previous founder of PayPal and now a firm, heads one of the largest players in this space, specifically for point of sale lending. When you were pitching Thrive with the first product of Thrive Cash, what about your vision really clicked for investors?
1: I think in the first era of finance companies that started with like you know lending club back in the day, The general idea was that we will take whatever has been happening offline and we will simply put it online. That was kind of a lot of the innovation that happened. And we did okay overall, like over the last decade, you can see them, they did like reasonably well. But the self-new way, what you will now start to see is people actually taking advantage of the platforms. Like if you have a customer on your mobile phone, and if you have like access to like information about that customer, you will start to see far more clever uses of technology. And that's part of why our idea was also in you know, the idea that we're going to invest in human potential, figured out the future for some of these young professionals. And that was kind of the underlying idea that was, uh, that was interesting to Max and other investors.
0: So speaking of the actual future, your first product, Thrive Cash, the next one coming out is the credit card. Mm-hmm. What's in the pipeline after that?
1: I think just, uh, if, just throwing the credit card for now would be the kind of the, the focus of the company. I think the... Um, we will we would love to start offering credit cards for people beyond young professionals that'll be kind of a natural young step so for like someone who's like me who's like you know few years out of a, out of college um, i think there's a huge room to keep making smart credit cards for different kind of types of audiences
0: and when we look towards the future so are you really looking at human potential to underwrite individuals as opposed to your previous income history your previous employer history? What are the larger use cases that you see for that type of model within FinTech in general going forward?
1: I think you see the kind of people struggling with the mortgage. It's a very interesting idea, right? You've seen some innovation around around this general theme of people trying to predict the future for individuals and letting them have like a mortgage earlier. I think any conventional financial instrument can definitely be rethought from both an experience perspective and an underwriting perspective, like how do you get like a car loan, a mortgage? And the sooner you can predict someone's future potential, you can accelerate access to these instruments like a mortgage usually you would have to wait a very long time in order to save some money and get like a house but if you can understand and predict someone's future better like can you get them access earlier
0: taking the entire vision and looking retrospectively how does one figure out what you actually need to raise for a venture such as thrive as opposed to going to a software venture or you know a hardware venture
1: yeah, we were very naive for sure when we started out. I think there is a huge chicken and egg problem with building any kind of credit or or kind of lending product, where you need to attract debt investors, and to attract debt investors, you need to have like some equity. But the equity investors also want to see your potential in like raising debt capital. So there's sort of a circular loop that becomes very tricky. And this is why, like specifically in the credit and kind of lending space, either you're like an expert, somebody who comes from the industry and has connections or you are a more experienced founder, I think first time founders will have a very hard time navigating this super complex landscape.
0: And on the actual macro environment front, how has running a company with a distributed workforce during COVID been for you? Are there challenges that you didn't anticipate? Are there benefits that you hadn't realized previously? How has Corona really brought about somewhat of an impact on Thrive?
1: I think the as far as kind of the workforce goes, it's been more challenging than the benefits. I think in particular for, a very early stage company, there is sort of this this shared belief that binds the company together. Yeah. If done right, the belief looks delusional from the outside, but there's a belief that kind of like, you know, binds everyone together.
0: Yeah, but if you had to start all over again, is there anything that you'd do differently?
1: For Thrive, I think there's very small things I would do differently. Not saying everything has been smooth and amazing, but the lessons are very small and very specific. If I go back in time and look at some of my other companies, I would say like, I wouldn't give up so easily And I think that's one of those downsides of like the Silicon Valley is you want failure to be accepted, but not glamorized. Yeah, I think once as a founder you get go through an actual experience of like an actual company with people and fundraising, you realize that it's a massive toll emotionally, mentally, sometimes physically. Like I'm 34, but I look 43 on a on a good day, and my uh, my co-founder Deepak could tell you that he's lost a bunch of hair doing this. So I think you just can't keep doing this. You maybe have five shots in your life at this. Okay. So I think you shouldn't, once you dive in, you should absolutely not give up easily. I think failure should just not be an option.
0: And three pieces of advice to entrepreneurs aspiring to building in the lending space.
1: Uh, it's a really funny story, but I think the funny thing about advice is that it doesn't really work because yeah. you see the people making the same mistakes over and over. Yeah. Because, because you have to kind of feel this advice. Like when we were starting the company, one of my very good friends, Priyank, who runs Stilt, amazing lending company, he said, just don't do it. Yeah. Like, don't do it, you have no idea. And uh, and I thought he's just being soft. And maybe like a year into it, we realized how hard like a company in the finance space is. And so I think I, I have the same advice for somebody wanting to do a lending company: is just don't do it. And if they still really want to do it, that's probably good for them. Because if you're trying to do a company in this space, because it's a hot space, you're just gonna get beaten up so hard and you have no idea.
0: So that was Sid Batra, co-founder of Thrive. Sid, thanks so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much, Ravi.